Father, we do ask that you would um, speak to us uh, this morning uh, through uh, your word by your spirit, which you open our hearts and minds uh, this morning. Amen. Please uh, do take a seat. Well, do um, open your Bibles uh, that Nathan read earlier, page 974. That's where we will be in Matthew chapter 9. And you might find uh, the yellow sermon sheet helpful. Um, Then do please do use it. Well, Jesus, the miracle worker. Well, H.G. Wells says that... um, Jesus of Nazareth is certainly the very center of history. Well, after seeing Jesus' miracles in, say, in verse 33, the crowds marveled and said, never was anything like this seen in Israel. Uh, Well, surely the same goes for us. We've never seen or, or heard anything remotely close Um, Well, maybe modern medicine, you may say, has lessened the impact of some of those uh, miracles, Uh, the diseases used to uh, kill people or incapacitate people, perhaps are today uh, curable or at least controllable. Um, For example, you may say that the healing of this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, presumably due to uh, some menstrual uh, bleeding problems, Well, you may say, well, my gynecologist also did the same, uh, putting a hormone coil into my womb, and, um, hey, presto, I'm I'm a new woman. Um, But see, the point is, can your gynecologists do that by simply letting you touch the edge of their clothes that they are wearing? Um, That would be a very expensive uh, consultation, wouldn't it, sort of uh, touch close-touching consultation with your private gynecologist. Um, But, well, I'm just, I guess, trying to make a point here in that um, Jesus' miracles were just amazing, aren't they? The breadth, the magnitude, the immediacy of his miracles. They were breathtaking. He merely spoke or touched or be touched, and all kinds of diseases were instantly healed at that moment. And we must not forget, of course, the previous chapters, the, the furious storm, remember, um, how the winds and the waves obeyed him. And we see, of course, how demonic forces trembled and fled in Jesus' presence. Well, today we also see how death itself is under Jesus' command. If curing disease is one thing, but raising a dead person well, that has to stand on its own. Um, it's, it's quite hard, isn't it, for, for moderns like us to, to, um, uh, to take these kind of miracles. Um, you know, after all, uh, decays and deaths, they are the laws of nature. Um, miracles, on the other hand, are, are therefore naturally impossible events. They are naturally impossible given the natural forces that operate at that particular time and place. Um, You know, it is impossible for a dead person to live again. Only 
only if natural laws operate at that time, but not if we allow supernatural forces to intervene. Um, there's nothing um, sort of implausible about that uh, thought. Perhaps um, our skepticism, our uh, difficulty rests uh, in the first place on our basic assumption against anything supernatural. It's the view called naturalism. Um, it is pervasive everywhere. Uh, you know, we grew up with it, don't we? Um, it's in our bones in many ways. Um, it's, um, it says that everything is nature and that there must be nothing that is not nature. So, so nature is a closed system. Nothing can interfere from the outside of nature, such as God. Not, not that there is no God, but that there is no outside at all. Um, so C.S. Lewis calls this everythingism. It's a kind of a version of pantheism. So if, if nature is a house, it's more akin to a prison cell uh, without any windows or doors. Well, among other things, friends, I'm sure this is a very claustrophobic view of life, isn't it? It's hard to imagine how there's any room in such a worldview for life's values and meaning. Uh, for human minds, for consciousness, for moral values. So if you take this to its logical conclusion, life actually becomes quite unbearable. You know, we can scream all we want and no one hears. Uh, you'll have to find meaning uh, of life and death within your prison cell with your fellow inmates. But none is the wiser because we are all prisoners in the same prison. Well, Jesus of Nazareth, well, he's the game changer. As if light shining through the crack in our prison wall. See, for nature, death is the end. It's final. But Jesus Christ has changed all that. Death is no longer final. So verse 25 says that Jesus took the dead girl by the hand and she got up. Well, it's, it's not a myth. It's not Disney. Um, but a reliable eyewitness account of a historical fact that once in first century Palestine, during Roman occupation, a Jewish teacher raised a dead girl to life. Her death reversed. Her life returned. Breaths restored. Heartbeats fell. Pale and cold corpse became a pink, smiling girl. That's remarkable. You know, her brain that would have been dead uh, after a few minutes of oxygen starvation revived. And all this took place at the same time, at the same moment that Jesus touched her hand. Well then, friends, if death is not the end, then life as we know it has been redefined by Jesus of Nazareth. He indeed has authority over death. Um, I like to think of this, that meaning he is stronger than death and that death obeys him. Um, and the ruler in our story, this father whose daughter has died, 
knows this truth firsthand. So he came in verse 18 to meet Jesus face to face, carrying with him the heavy burden of the reality of human mortality. So this is our first heading. He came to Jesus with humility. So let's uh, take, a, take a look at verse 18. Well, he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. Well, a similar story in the other Gospels revealed this ruler to be a synagogue leader and his daughter to be his only daughter of about 12 years old. Yeah, he was a man of high standing who has influence and good reputation in society uh, and among the religious elites, such as the Pharisees that we've been hearing uh, so much about in Matthew's Gospel. To have him come and kneel before Jesus was itself an amazing scene to behold. It's like a slave kneeling before his master, begging for mercy. Well, whatever he thought of Jesus at this point, he knew one thing for sure. Jesus had authority and power that far exceeded his own. He's probably never knelt before a man like this before, except perhaps when he was praying and worshipping the Lord God, Yahweh of the Old Testament scriptures. Deaths, however, don't discriminate, isn't it? It doesn't matter if you are the, the treasured only daughter of a respected synagogue leader or if you are a neglected orphan. Death is universal. It is rightly disturbing. Uh, Atul Gawande, a surgeon, uh, described in his book, Being Mortal, how he reacted to seeing his first deaths. He said, I had recurring nightmares in which I would find my patients' corpses in my house, in my own bed. Well, this is emotional trauma. You know, to be honest, from personal experience, I, I never really get used to deaths because, see, each death is so traumatic. Among other things, it points to my own predictable mortality. I'm just in a queue. And also there's something quite alien about death, isn't it? People are naturally repelled by it. Uh, we can make the experience of death a, a good or meaningful one, but it's death nevertheless. And death is the enemy. As one physician used to describe it, and I think it's very good, it's nature's final victory. Death is too strong. In the end, however we seek to avoid talking about it, it always wins. It's a one-sided battle. See, from this viewpoint, human pride appears quite illogical. It may be, you know, I may be healthy, strong, powerful, famous, uh, but death is stronger still. One strike Death wipes everything away from us. And this synagogue leader may have everything in life, but just one strike, and death takes the most precious thing in his life, and his world just collapses like a pack of cards. See, at that point, like any of us, it reminds him how fleeting life is. You know, this fact of life can certainly drive anyone uh, to uh, hedonism, well, enjoy life while well, we can, you know, we're alive. Uh, or it goes all the way to nihilism. Life is meaningless, it's no point living. 
But God's words in scriptures point us to a different conclusion. That um, you know, our mortality is really a source of God's wisdom. We've read from uh, Psalm 39 earlier, uh, where King David actually here prays for an increased awareness of his mortality. Show me, O Lord, he said, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. Well, perhaps we should uh, pray in the same way, seeing our mortality as God's opportunity uh, to keep us humble before him, driving us to our knees, that we may set our hope on God alone. Well, friends, death may be strong, um, but Jesus is far stronger still, that even death obeys him. Well, the synagogue leader came to Jesus with humility. But how? How would he share Jesus' life-giving power? You know, or to put it more crudely, how can this father access Jesus' awesome power that raises even the dead to life? Is it through a nice lump sum? Is it uh, rule-keeping or bribery? Is it uh, being respectable, being part of the right family or or, um, a socioeconomic group? Well, the answer is none of those. It is tempting because it's easy to uh, pay our way through things, isn't it? Especially if we have the means. But the right answer is through faith. And that's how uh, we ought to relate to God. And this is our second uh, heading. Come to Jesus through faith. So let's take a look again in verse 18. where the um, uh, synagogue leader says um, to Jesus, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Well, this is faith, isn't it? This is faith. This is, you know, he has not received his daughter back from the dead at this point. Uh, But he believes, he believes that Jesus is a life giver and he throws himself completely at the mercy of God. And we see the same pattern of relating to Jesus with the woman um, who was bleeding. In verse 21, she said, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus commended her saying, your faith has healed you. And again, with the two blind men, Jesus said to them in verse 29, according to your faith, will it be done to you? Well, there are many motives uh, behind coming to Jesus, of course. Um, Not all of us uh, come to Jesus with humble faith. Some merely come to observe, to see for themselves the talk of the town. You know, the crowd probably um, falls in this category. Some may even come to be entertained um, like watching Israel's you know, Got Talent show. Um, some would probably come with malicious intent, trying to detract Jesus like many of the Pharisees did. But this synagogue leader came with humble faith. 
believing that Jesus was able to breathe the breath of life. But what was his faith based upon, you may ask? I guess the evidence speaks for itself, you see. If we look closer at Jesus' miracles, it will soon become obvious that they were not just random displays of um, power, of raw power, but they were clearly directed against what uh, we can call the five Ds, you know, the diseases, the disaster, the demons, the despair, and death. His miracles make a clear statement. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, has now broken into the kingdom of this world, rather than that light shining through the crack on our prison wall. As though, you know, the, the shields of the kingdom of of the world ruled by Satan and all that oppose God's rule have been breached. And God himself now has stepped into our chaotic and suffering world. He came as the promised son of David. He came as the promised Messiah of Israel. It's interesting, if you look at verse 27, how the blind man, despite their blindness, recognized this remarkable truth. They even shouted, have mercy on us, uh, son of David. In fact, Matthew made this point earlier on. Um, you may remember that Jesus, um, when after he had healed many who were sick and demon-possessed in chapter 8, Matthew wrote in verse 17 how that was a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, written 800 years before Jesus. It says that this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. You see, Jesus' miracles compel us to ask a far more important question than any of the miracles themselves. Who is Jesus? See, who can heal diseases and restore health? But the God of the Old Testament alone, Yahweh, the one who created normal structure and function, in the first place. Who can drive out demons with such authority but God alone, to whom all creatures in the spiritual or physical realms ultimately bow down and obey? Who can make death give up its strong grip except someone stronger than death? And who can have such power and authority to do so except God alone? The God of Genesis 2, isn't it? Who breathed the breath, of, the breath of life into the man and he became a living creature. While the synagogue leader saw beyond Jesus' miracles to the God behind him. He may not have fully uh, understood Jesus' full identity, but he knew that Jesus, that Yahweh, the Lord God of the Old Testament was at work through Jesus of Nazareth. Well, I don't know um, about you, but sometimes um, I've heard people say that it's, it's, it's a bit easier for this ruler to believe because he had seen, he had heard firsthand Jesus' other miracles. You know, like the bleeding woman uh, who, had, who was healed before his very eyes. He had the benefit of sight. Um, so after all, you know, seeing is believing, or, or so we think. I don't know whether you've ever heard of that um, 
being said. But what does Sir Matthew's Gospel show us? Well, let's uh, consider this briefly. Actually, it was not much easier for this ruler to believe, um, as evidenced by the fact that faith was actually a rare commodity, even then. Um, there weren't massive conversions that we, that we see. In fact, the leadership and the religious people that uh, the synagogue leader belonged to, of course, didn't fall on their knees, did they? Uh, quite the contrary. They crucified Jesus. So in fact, one can say that faith here is the unseen miracle in today's passage. You see, left to, left to our natural selves, we are dead and blind. In fact, seeing is not believing would be a much better description of what was happening in Jesus' day. You know, if we fast forward two chapters later in Matthew 11, Jesus denounced the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed. He said, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. See, these people did not lack sight, but they lacked faith despite seeing. And why? Well, it's because we can always reason away what we see. Uh, the Pharisees um, did just that. For example, in verse 34, um, they said it's by the prince of demons that Jesus drives out demons. It's quite a dodgy reasoning. Um, you know, they had the best evidence in the whole world, if anything. You know, they were supposed to know the Old Testament scriptures back to front. They had the benefit of sight at the same time. They saw Jesus' miracles for themselves. Well, I think the bottom line is that what we see with our eyes ultimately gets filtered in the hearts. See, that's, that's good if the filter is pure. Uh, but not if the filter is filthy, uh, like the sinful human hearts. Uh, we'll be able to give 101 reasons, however improbable they may be, if we don't think we are sick and that we are in need of Jesus. So friends, seeing is not believing. Seeing miracles with our eyes is not a necessary requirement. It's not a prerequisite for faith. And seeing miracles does not necessarily automatically lead a person to faith either. I mean, today, we hear the gospel, we read the Bible, and we trust uh, in the trustworthiness of scriptures. It is a histo historically re reliable uh, document and we believe, we believe in it. So faith is, is indeed a miracle. It's clearly the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, is it not? It's, it's, perhaps it's the new wineskins that Jesus was talking about that we heard last week in verse 17. New wine into new wineskins. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Those who are filthy in hearts and who know they're really sick. And they, they need to come to Jesus, not through their own merits, 
but through faith alone. Well, this synagogue leader, friends, faced with the reality of his daughter's death, came to Jesus with humility through faith. And now third and last, he came to receive the gift of life. So um, again, we look at the passage. Um, So here at this point, Jesus um, arrived at the ruler's house. When Jesus entered the ruler's house, verse 23, and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. Well, this is quite an intriguing verse, isn't it? I don't know whether you uh, feel the same way. Because the girl was clearly dead. He was clearly dead. Even the professional mourners had been called. I'm sure people knew how to spot a dead person in, in those days. But Jesus here was clearly referring to the fact that this dead girl's state was not going to be permanent. Jesus here was making a huge assertion that death, like sleeping, is temporary. It's no longer nature's final victory. And of course, he proved that, um, that you know, he was not just talking nonsense. Uh, because in the next verse, in, in verse 25, we saw Jesus went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. The synagogue ruler, through faith, received the gift of life for his daughter. Um, you know, I, I've often thought about this. I don't, again, I don't know whether you feel the same way. I often wished that these huge, grand miracles are still part of our day-to-day existence. You know, when, when faced with human suffering and, and tragedy, the things that uh, we hear about every day, um, the obvious and the not-so-obvious, the hidden ones in particular, wouldn't it be nice if, uh, if churches are, are more like hospitals, sort of centers of healing with these grand miracles happening all the time? Um, you know, there'll be no doctors and um, there'll be no need for funerals because deaths can be reversed. I'm sure um, St. John's will be full, packed all the way to the streets um, if that's the case. Well, what's happened to these miracles? Um, Why why aren't we seeing them? Well, I think Tom has touched on this uh, before, that these huge-scale miracles uh, such that we see in Jesus' day actually occurred rarely in biblical history. They tend to be focused uh, upon certain epochs of God's special revelation in history, such as during the time of Moses, Um, and the prophet Elijah. In the New Testament, we've already heard how, we've seen here how um, such miracles that Jesus did serve to reveal Jesus as the Messiah, he is as the Christ. In fact, in church history, they are primarily concentrated during the time of the apostles, after which they 
kind of disappeared. Of course, it does not mean that we um, don't pray uh, for uh, healing for the sick or that miracles uh, can't happen anymore. Of course not. But we should not expect them to be uh, part of sort of normative uh, Christian experience. And furthermore, if imagine if such miracles were to form part of our day-to-day uh, experience, then really, by definition, they are no longer called miracles. They are, I don't know, called them naturals. You know, the danger, the danger with that is that we, um, we turn into consumers, isn't it? Um, consumerism takes place, like today's uh, healthcare. I was, um, I was in a gym a few weeks ago on a treadmill, um, fighting for my breath. I don't know why I do it, but I do it. Uh, and a music video appeared. Um, I don't normally um, watch music videos, but this one caught my attention. It's a, it's a Jesus figure. Uh, came out of the water on the beach. He approached two little boys holding ice cream uh, each. He touched their hands, and suddenly five ice creams each. Uh, he then touched a bald man, and bingo, he got a head full of hair. He touched his girlfriend, and bingo, she got a, a face full of beard. Um, as he was walking, he touched a cash machine, and behold, cash did not stop spewing out of the machine. Um, there was havoc everywhere. Even policemen uh, joined in. You see, I guess it's... it's easy in a, in a consumerist culture to be tempted to create our sort of heaven on earth uh, and make this earth, this temporal existence, our everything. See, God becomes our Aladdin, genie in the lamp kind of God. He serves us rather than we worship him. But should that be the case? You know, should, you know, is, is creating heaven on earth our greatest need? Well, no, because God has something far better, far greater for you and me. Because life on this earth is not my greatest need, but eternal life is. Ecclesiastes reminds us that, that God has put eternity into the hearts of men. Um, you know, we are, of course, only a third of the way through Matthew's gospel. Um, you see, you remember that this girl, this dead girl, was revived from death, but only to die again one day. And in that sense, death remains nature's final victory. But, you see, that this miracle, this rising uh, from the dead, was a mere foretaste is it not? Uh, a mere canopy in a, in a ten-course banquet of Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. And uh, indeed, uh, because of that, ours, um, if we follow him. See, that empty tomb at the end of Matthew is the hope of this world of decay. Because there he truly defeated grave. And for us who come to him with humility, through faith, 
you will indeed receive eternal life. One of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, when Apostle Paul says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? So friends, it's not, it's not heaven on earth that we should be striving for, but eternal life with Jesus Christ in the new heaven and earth where there will be no more tears, no more despair, despair no more diseases, no more deaths, no more doctors. But there, Christ will be our everything. And the old order of things will be but a mere shadow. So friends, if you hear God's voice today, come. Come to Jesus with humility, through faith, to receive his gift of eternal life. Well, let me conclude with a couple of practical pointers. A don't and a do. First, is don't be short-sighted. Don't be short-sighted. I can live well, I can die well, but to what end? If we have a stretch of eternity before us, we are so often too short-sighted, focusing on the here and now. Uh, I wonder in part, in part if this may be what happened to these two blind men in our story. You know, they came to Jesus in faith, they received their physical eyesight. But they lacked the foresight of faith to follow Jesus to the end, it seems. That they could not resist the temptation to disobey Jesus. Jesus gave them quite a stern warning in verse 30. See that no one about, knows about this. But in the very next verse, you see them. Out they went, uh, gone, spreading the news all over the region. I guess, friends, Jesus calls us to follow him. Isn't it? To be his disciples uh, and not just his patience that uh, come and go. Faith gives us foresight. Seeing is not believing, but believing is seeing. Seeing past my um, fleeting earthly treasures, my aspirations, my family, my job, my aging, dementing body, to the eternal life set before us. So don't be short-sighted. Well, second, do speak up. Do speak up uh, of the good news of Jesus. He is the life-giver to a dying world. Well, this um, miracles of Jesus section in Matthew's Gospel now um, uh, enters a new phase, as it were, as Jesus healed this, uh, this mute man, this mute demon-oppressed man, and it says in verse 33, the mute man spoke. Well, the good news of eternal life in Christ is for sharing. It's a bit like Haribo's um, for sharing. But more of this uh, next, next week. But for now, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Father, we pray to you uh, for faith. You know, we long to hear that well done that Jesus said to, to that woman, take heart, child, your faith 
has healed you. May we always come to you, Lord, with uh, humility, through faith, to receive your gift of eternal life. Give us this foresight of faith to be disciples, that we may long more and more indeed for your, for your kingdom come, so that the things of this world will fade away into a mere shadow. And will you free our mouths, we pray, our talents, our ambitions, to speak of this good news to, to a dying world. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.